Isaiah chapter 7 on page 1070. We're going to look at chapter 7 through to 11 tonight. And so um, I'll be reading different slabs of this as we, we work our way through. So if you could keep your Bibles open, I'll be referring to individual verses and to the different segments as we work our way through. But let us pray first. Father, we thank you that you have a plan, a plan that has never been shaken and never will be. And we thank you that through Jesus we get to have an even greater glimpse of how that will all turn out. We thank you for your generosity in allowing us to be looking into the way that you're going to unfold things. And Father, tonight we come eager to learn, eager to understand more so that we might learn to, to live well and to love well. So we ask that you would come now and teach us by your word and by your spirit to be more like your son, the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Have you ever pulled yourself up by your bootstraps? Or perhaps you're a bit younger than me and have never heard of bootstraps. The origin of this descriptive phrase isn't known, but it refers, of course, to boots that have straps on them that enables the wearer to pull the boots on. And to the imagined feat of lifting oneself up from the ground by one's bootstraps. This impossible task is supposed, is supposed to exemplify the achievement in getting out of a difficult situation by one's own efforts. And sometimes we, we laud and praise that. It is also something that we attempt to do in the face of the impossible task of becoming God's friends in our own strength, of being more like Jesus in our own strength. It becomes easy for us to put in effort rather than look to God for grace. And we see this bootstrapping taking place in these chapters tonight. In chapter 7, verse 1, we jump over King Jotham who is a half-hearted king. We jump down in history to his son, Ahaz, who was a hard-hearted man. Ahaz, at this point, as you can see there, is confronted by two kings, the king of Aram and the king of Israel. Yes, the king of the northern kingdom of God's people and Aram are going to come and try and attack Ahaz and his people in Jerusalem. But we read that they cannot overpower it. They cannot overpower Jerusalem at this point. Nevertheless, in verse 2, we see that the hearts of Ahaz and his people are shaken. Their hearts are shaken. A gentle reminder that it is our heart problem that concerns all of us. God's messenger, Isaiah, with his son, come to this fearful king 
And in verse 4 they say to him, Be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid, do not lose heart because of these two smouldering stubs of firewood. And then in verse 7, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, It will not take place, it will not happen. If you can't trust the Sovereign Lord, who holds everything in his hands, who can you trust? These two kingdoms will not conquer Jerusalem. In fact, these two kingdoms will themselves be devastated within 65 years. And you can see that in verse 8. So Ahaz and his people are told, stand firm in your faith. Verse 9, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. And Ahaz doesn't listen. Yet God graciously gives him assurance that he will be with them, that he is in control. In verse 14, there is mention of Emmanuel, a son who will be God with us. And of course this has greater significance for us. But despite this assurance that God is with him, we know from 2 Chronicles 28-22, in his time of trouble, King Ahaz became even more unfaithful to the Lord. He turns to other gods. He turns also to the king of Assyria, one of the major powers at this time. Yet he will be the one who eventually destroys him and his people. He makes every effort he can in his own strength to get out of this situation. And all the time he fails to listen to and to turn to God. In essence, he's delusional. He's delusional about his own capacity to be able to control and to be able to produce a good outcome. He fails to heed the warning that had been previously spoken to him. Stop trusting in mere humans. In chapter 8, God reminds Isaiah that even in the coming Assyrian invasion, which will take place many years later, that God is with him and God is with his people. In chapter 8, verse 8, it speaks of an overwhelming flood that is going to come and swamp Jerusalem. But tacked on at the end of that verse is one word, Emmanuel, God with us. And then again in chapter 8, verse 10, devise your strategy, but it will not be thwarted. Propose your plan, but it will not stand, for God is with us. Or in the Hebrew, Emmanuel. Don't try pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. It's impossible. Look to God, the God who is with us. And then Isaiah gets told by God not to follow the way of this people. I'm going to read from verse 11 of chapter 8. This is what the Lord says 
to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people. Do not call conspiracy everything that this people calls a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one that you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. He will be a holy place for both Israel and Judah. He will be a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Familiar words to us. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Many of them will stumble. They will fall and be broken. They will be snared and captured. And then a word, an interesting word. Bind up this testimony of warning and seal up God's instruction among my disciples. In this faithless generation, in this faithless people, there are a group, a group of disciples who are indeed faithful followers. And they are the ones who will declare that God is God and put their trust in him. Verse 17, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the descendants of Jacob. I will put my trust in him. A couple of weeks ago, I asked you if you had any current problems and suggested it might be connected with our shared heart problem that we have. Whatever the problem you have, whatever the depth, whatever the heartache... Have you remembered Emmanuel? Have you remembered God is with us? God is with us in each and every problem, each and every set of circumstances, each and every joy, each and every moment. Are we handing our problems over to the Lord? Are we seeking him who is God with us, who is the sovereign Lord? Are we remembering that he abandoned his son on the greatest day of devastation in order to declare that he will not abandon those who trust in him, those who wait for him? Don't follow the way of the faithless, Isaiah says. This day and each day, declare by your actions, I put my trust in the Lord. Most of the people, like their king, turned to mediums and they tried to discover the future without consulting God. And no light was shone on their problem. And we see that this leads to total disaster. Chapter 8, verse 21. Distressed and hungry, they will roam through the land. When they are famished... They will become enraged and looking up, they will curse their king and their God. Then they will look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom. And they will be thrust into utter darkness. This will be total devastation and it will come, it will come. Fearful gloom, utter darkness. We heard a little while ago about those Thai soccer boys in that cave, four kilometres in. 
utter darkness, fearful gloom, totally dependent on an external rescuer. Bootstraps won't help. Judas' devastation is met with a promise. The promise of a better future in chapter 9. There will be a great light. There will be joy. There will be burdens lifted. There will be peace. And this culminates in the promise of a son. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We know that man, don't we? We know him. This is the God that we believe in. The Lord Almighty who comes to us in the midst of total devastation. That's what they're facing. Can you cast your eye back to to verse 4 of chapter 9 just for a moment? For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them. The day of Midian's defeat. You, who is the you that shattered the yoke? Do you remember Gideon going up against the Midianites? Gideon amasses an army of 32,000 men. And God says, no, no, Gideon, too many. And it's an easy job to reduce it to an army of 10,000. But God says, no, no, Gideon, still too many men. And finally, it's reduced to 300 who are probably chosen for their ineptitude. Why this seemingly foolish reduction in the number of troops? In Judges 7, verse 2, we get the answer. So that no one can boast to God, my own strength has saved me. So no one can boast to God that my own strength has saved me. No one is to think that they can pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. And if we compare this, if we turn over the page to uh, chapter 9, verse 7, the end of that verse, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. It is certain, it's a done deal, there will be a son who will be a saviour, who will establish God's kingdom and God's rule. The rest of chapter 9 and most of chapter 10 remind us that the majority of people did follow after the way of Ahaz, did follow the way of this people, failing to look to God. And in there we see judgment on Assyria and judgment on Israel. The northern kingdom of Israel will be obliterated in due course. The king of Assyria and his people will be obliterated in due course. And God will punish this king for his willful pride of his heart. Again, a reminder of where the real problem lies and the haughty look in his eyes. He will be punished for his pride and his arrogance. But this will be after Judah, the southern kingdom, has been laid to waste. 
there will be another litany of devastation. But again, this is interrupted by a note of hope. In chapter 10, verse 20, we're introduced to a remnant, a faithful, trusting remnant. You probably know that my wife Cass has an addiction. She's addicted to knitting. Next to her is always this small glass in which she puts her snips and bits, her cut-offs and leftovers, all unwanted, all useless remnant of her knitting, which gets cast off into the rubbish. The other day I was mesmerised while I was waiting for a coffee down here. I was looking through the door and there was a baker and he had on this big bench dough spread out, he'd been kneading it, now he was evening it out, getting it, rolling it, making sure it was even, cutting off the edge, cutting off the edge, and then he folded it, and then he cut it off the edge again, and then he folded again and did some final cutting. But this remnant was collected because it was going to make something new. It was not going to be wasted. The remnant here in Isaiah has a bit of both these pictures. These cut-off people are a motley crew, they're a bunch of nobodies, but they are treasured by God. And by his hand, they will be made into something grand and glorious. A new people, a new kingdom. This remnant will witness a destruction that is both overwhelming and righteous. Again, in uh, chapter 10, verse 26, there's another reminder of Midian. There's going to be a salvation through punishment. The result of this, the, the result of which is that their greatest burden will be lifted. Their greatest burden will be lifted, and it will be lifted because of the fullness of blessing that is bestowed. Have a look with me. At chapter 10, verse 27, this strange verse. In that day, their burden will be lifted from your shoulders, their yoke from their necks. The yoke will be broken because you have grown so fat. They have been so well fed. They are not famished like the other people. They have been so well fed, so blessed that their yoke, their burden disappears where do your minds and hearts go when you hear about salvation through punishment a destruction that is overwhelming and righteous Do they go to the cross? Because it's there that the greatest burden is lifted from those who look to Jesus. The burden is lifted because of the greatness of the blessing that is being bestowed. Jesus calls out to all those who are still weighed down by the burden of sin and shame. 
He's still concerned about a yoke and he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This remnant is greatly loved, but this doesn't mean that they won't witness and experience hardship. But they have peace and comfort of knowing Emmanuel. God is with us. In Isaiah's day, the remnant would face another devastation. They will be overrun by the Babylonians who will take their strong, their young, and any remaining riches into exile. But God is still with them there and here, loving this remnant, regarded by others as rubbish, regarding, loving this remnant in Jerusalem, loving this remnant in Babylon, reuniting them and making something new. At the end of chapter 10, the imagery changes. And and we have God pictured as an axeman with his axe poised, ready for it to fall. And in chapter 11, verse 1, it does fall. But a shoot comes up, a branch grows and bears fruit. And this branch will be an exceptional man. This branch will be an exceptional man. Verse 2. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. A spirit of counsel. Wonderful counselor. A spirit of might, mighty God. He too will judge with righteousness and bring peace. So in chapter 11, verse 6, we see that the wolf will live with the lamb. There will be perfect peace. In verse 10 of chapter 11, we see that this branch, this root of Jesse, this piece of wood will become a banner, a signpost, a stake in the ground that becomes a rallying point for all those who will trust God and will reject the way of the people. Again, where is your heart and your mind taking you? To that piece of wood stuck in the ground on that hill that we call Calvary, that has become the rallying point for all believers of all generations. The people in Isaiah's day had hope for the present that God would be with them and hope for the future that he would make the way. If they look to God and forget about trying to pull themselves up by their own efforts, they will know this God. And he will help them to put aside pride and arrogance for humility. They and we have the promise of Emmanuel, each 
and every day in each and every situation even if we think the situation is disastrous however like them we keep trying it even though we've been told again and again that it's impossible it causes us to be either delusionally proud or irrationally fearful it causes us to hide in guilt and shame fearing the one who can help us in fear we work for what we have already been given in weakening hope we seek what we already have some even boast of what we did not earn or achieve on our own we spend our lives feeling not only that we haven't measured up but that we'll never measure up but but we are free from having to measure up we are free from having to measure up to his standard we are free from having to garner his love it is finished it is completed it is fully paid god is fully satisfied because jesus has done it all his undeserved death and his resurrection are the seal to this promise that runs through isaiah you and i have been called to give ourselves to the work of god's kingdom and to daily look to the king And the work that we do is never to be done to earn something. The work that we are called to do is a celebration of something beautiful that can never be taken away. We don't have to wonder if we've worked hard enough. We don't have to fear that we'll mess up and be booted out of the family. We don't have to fear seeing the back of God's head one day the bridge of impossibility has been walked by Jesus we can forget our bootstraps because it is done it is finished and the God who is with us has accomplished this by his seal by his son So tonight and tomorrow and each day we can know that God is with us. Don't follow the way of these people. Look to God. Declare, I will trust him. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we are sorry because we know that in you we live and move and have our being, yet we are so forgetful. We are fearful at times. We are delusional about our abilities. Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus that shows us your way 
Thank you that you are with us each step in your way. And thank you that your zeal has already accomplished our future. So all we can do is stand and praise you. To you be all praise, glory and honour this night and forevermore. Amen. Now you will have noticed that I didn't read chapter 12. Chris is going to come and read chapter 12 because this is the end of this segment and the way that it ends is with a resounding song. In that day you will say, I will praise you, Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. In that day you will say, Give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done, and proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you.